Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Ternaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. We at UCLA Extension wish you and your families a most pleasant holiday season and a really successful new year in both your personal and professional growth opportunities. For many, 2022 recorded a period of increased social and global unrest, as well as attempts to recover from a 100-year pandemic, remembering 1918, which was compounded by World War I. Additionally, trillions of dollars of additional government spending and related new debt, inflating real estate stock and bond prices, and a disconnect between being told the economy is strong and the many new people leaving the labor force or holding multiple part-time jobs. Supply chain crises showed up pretty much everywhere, from supermarkets to car parts stores to construction materials providers, with these issues described by the media during the year as temporary, despite their continuance through the present day. 2023, in my opinion, promises incredibly high volatility, which in plain speak means frequent changes in reported trends, threats, and challenges to say nothing of the war. With Russia building its own tanker fleet, I do count on the Ukraine war continuing, if not expanding, I'm sorry to say. But strategically, one additional fact rarely reported is related to the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Have you heard of it? I'll refer to it as SCO for short. Please do Google it if you've never heard of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. The SCO countries include China, Russia, India, Iran is waiting for membership, and certain of the other oil-producing countries. And in total, the SCO has more people, more land area, controls more global shipping lanes, and has a growing significant military capability. Much is funded by China, and much is occurring outside of the SCO itself, but it's important to recognize the SCO countries as a countervailing power to the United States, Canada, the UK, the European Union, and Japan. It's really timely to start thinking about the SCO, in my opinion. These countries are looking to build a competing currency exchange, a set of trade relationships amongst themselves, a global gold exchange controlled by them, energy supply chains, and even global military presences. And I include China's growing control of resource-rich African countries. Again, much occurs outside of the SCO itself, but much is in process among the SCO countries to not only subvert Western sanctions, but also to negate Western economic influences. I'm not an alarmist, but I'm on alert. We've already seen the Nord Stream gas pipelines intentionally destroyed. We've seen Russia invading the Ukraine, and additionally China aggressively building its navy and expanding its global military base locations. In 2022, we as a country have stretched our resources in support of the Ukraine. We've shipped significant inventories of our weapon systems, as have some other NATO countries. We've drained a significant part of our strategic petroleum reserve and have sent tens of billions of dollars in financial aid. Another war seems unimaginable. 
But it is possible with China versus Taiwan and even North Korea versus South Korea. Another shooting war can hopefully be avoided, but an economic war is well in progress. Many trade relationships are getting redefined outside the United States, but will ultimately impact all of us in the United States in product availability and prices. And so, yes, a lot of really big uncontrollables are up in the air as we end 2022 and move into the new year. As I mentioned, in total, volatility will rule in 2023. What does that mean? That means many contradictions in the media, in political posturing, and growing disinformation campaigns. For 2023, I'll look even harder at what people and countries do and what is behind the data reported. My advice, be cautious, alert, and questioning. I'll try to capture the underlying trends and will continue to help via these podcasts, given that we're all trying to figure out the new reality day-to-day, week-to-week. Today, part two, promised in the last podcast, focuses on unemployment reporting. I'll try to demonstrate that our economy is not in a healthy place and that unemployment, contrary to official reports, has been and continues to be growing. Why focus on unemployment? Because growing unemployment, moving into a severe recession with high inflation spells much lower future real estate, stock, and bond prices next year. And that's in addition to the obvious issue of losing many jobs. Today, I'll give you thoughts I've gathered from several leading economists in addition to my own. If some sound too controversial, I apologize in advance, but I pass them on in the spirit of opinion inclusiveness. I'm not supporting any particular political agenda. Recall that back in August, September, October, we showed that a stark divergence between household and establishment surveys. And those two surveys comprise the monthly jobs report. Since March, the former has been stagnant while the latter has been rising every month. In addition to that, full-time jobs were plunging while part-time jobs were surging and the number of multiple job holders soared. Fast forward to today, when the inconsistencies not only continue to grow, but have become downright concerning with respect to accurate, objective government reporting. Consider the following. The closely followed establishment survey came in above expectations at 263,000 versus 200,000 expected. A record seventh consecutive beat versus expectations and down modestly from last month's upwardly revised 284,000. These numbers come at a time when virtually every major tech company is announcing mass layoffs. Several economists maintain the Bureau of Labor Statistics as a simple laser-focused political agenda, not to spoil the political climate at a time when Democrats just lost control of the House as somehow both construction, which reportedly added 20,000 jobs, and manufacturing added 14,000 jobs, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, occurred when the ADP survey now reports that these two sectors combined lost more than 100,000 workers in November. Total contradiction of the Bureau of Labor Statistics versus the private ADP survey. 
There's only so much the Department of Labor can hide under the rug because when looking at the above-mentioned gap between the household and establishment surveys, which we've been pounding the table on since summer, it just blew out by a whopping 401,000 jobs as a result of the 263,000 increase in the number of non-farm payrolls, which are tracked by the household survey, and offset by a perplexing plunge in the number of people actually employed, which actually dropped by 138,000 jobs, also tracked by the household survey. Furthermore, as shown, as we've discussed since March, the number of employed workers has declined on four of the past eight months, while the much more gamed non-farm payroll has been up every single month. What is even more troublesome is that despite the continued rise in non-farm payrolls, the household survey continues to telegraph growing weakness. And as of November 30th, the gap that opened up in March has since grown to a whopping 2.7 million workers, which may or may not exist anywhere outside of the spreadsheet model of the Bureau of Labor Statistics. In fact, one looks at the spreadsheets that are attainable on the internet and confirms basically all one needs to know about BLS data integrity. There is no data integrity. Showing this another way, there were 158.5 million employed workers in March of 2022 and 158.5 million in November of 2022. And the increase, if you carry it out to detailed calculations, is an increase of just 12,000 workers from March through November, a period in which the number of payrolls reported by the government reportedly increased by 2.7 million. As an aside, it appears this is not the first time the so-called apolitical BLS has pulled such a bizarre divergence. It happened right before Obama's re-election, and then again before Hillary's 100% guaranteed election because one wouldn't want a soft economy to adversely affect her re-election odds. It gets even better. Digging in deeper into the far more accurate and nuanced household survey, we find that the November drop in employment was a result of a plunge in part-time workers, more than offsetting the modest increase in part-time workers, which had declined in three of the past four months heading into November. Further to this point, since March, the U.S. has lost 398,000 full-time employees, offset by a modest gain of 190,000 part-time employees, while a whopping 291,000 workers were forced to get more than one job over the same period. While none of the above is really new, we've documented the record divergence between payrolls and employment for half a year now. And there are two new developments. First, as we discussed in prior podcasts, the Bureau of Labor Statistics continually resorts to what I would call the oldest trick in the book. They boost the core goal-seek factor, in other words, the business birth-death model adjustments, which can never be really reconciled. They make assumptions in the official data about the number of new companies and the number of new hires in the new companies. Again, not reconciled, but these have increased in October, that assumption, not survey data, but the assumption hit a record 453,000 jobs. The trend is really speculative in these assumptions about the viable of the U.S. economy and not coincidentally consists with major election cycles. Another point supporting that the Bureau of Labor Statistics is aggressively estimating so-called hard data, Goldman Sachs' Jan Hotzius observed 
The establishment survey had a 49% survey response rate recently, which is much lower than the 70 to 75% rate typical in non-election cycle Novembers. A final point, the Fed staffer Julia Coronado points out, we've reached the crazy part of the business cycle when average hours are actually declining in certain sectors, even as hourly earnings are rising. And even she wonders if we are not in fact seeking a spike in hourly income courtesy of lump sum severance payments. So what's going on here? The simple answer, as shocking as this may sound, there has been no change in the number of people actually employed in the past eight months. But due to deterioration in the economy, more people are losing their higher paying full-time jobs and switching into much lower paying benefits-free part-time jobs, which also forces many to work more than one job. And that rotation, which has picked up considerably sometime in March, has only been captured by the household survey. Meanwhile, the establishment survey plows on ahead with its BLS support of politically motivated approximations, seasonal adjustments, and other labor market goal-seeking meant to make the existing administration look good and provide the Fed with the ammo to keep rates high, thus forcing even more layoffs, which unfortunately the Bureau of Labor Statistics has shown it's incapable of capturing due to political reasons. Since the establishment survey is far slower to pick up on the nuances in employment composition while the household survey has gone nowhere since March, the Bureau of Labor Statistics data engineers have been busy goal-seeking the establishment survey, with the occasional nudge from the White House, especially now that the Biden administration needs something to hang its hat on after the GOP recaptured the House, to make it appear as if the economy is growing strongly, when in reality all they're doing is applying the same erroneous seasonal adjustment factor that gave such a wrong perspective of the labor market in the aftermath of the COVID pandemic. In other words, while the labor market is already cracking, it will take the BLS several months of veering away from reality before the government bureaucrats accept it and that's what's really taking place. Putting it in summary, Bank of America's Michael Hartnett, quote, Unemployment in 2023 will be as shocking to Main Street consumer sentiment as inflation has been in 2022. At this point, we will wish you a very happy holiday season again. And in January, we will continue analyzing the data and giving you perspectives that will help you understand reported inconsistencies in the many marketplaces. So with that, be cautious, lower your risk profile, and be really careful about what you really believe from the many media announcements because there are and continue to be many contributions. Until next year, bye-bye. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director Roger Tornadin. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. 
For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.